0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, I had the pleasure of traveling to Washington D.C. to the offices of Alliance Defending Freedom to hear Bishop Johanna Poyolo. Poyola, uh, he's Finnish, so it's kind of hard to pronounce the name. Um, he is giving a brief lecture tour in the United States and. Um, we, uh, I was invited to go, and it was a pleasure to be there. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on with Bishop Poyola, and um, it does relate to what, we're, uh, what we encounter today in our gospel lesson. Okay, so Bishop Poyola was ordained and installed in the Lutheran Church in Finland in 1999. As part of his pastoral duties, he developed pamphlets, helpful little pamphlets that dealt with various doctrines of the Christian faith, the sacrament of the altar, baptism, um, and so forth. Um, these were intended for his congregation to help them to grow, to learn. Well, in 2004, he developed a pamphlet. He, went to, uh, he wanted to produce a pamphlet that dealt with human sexuality, male, female, and so forth. Um, it was timely in Finland because there were debates in Parliament over the subject, uh, and he wanted to, wanted to address the subject uh, both for Parliament and then also for his congregation. So he uh, contacted a, a woman who was uh, a faithful Christian, who he knew, who was also a medical doctor, a mother and a grandmother, and a member of parliament in Finland. And he said, he asked her if she would write this pamphlet that he would then publish, which she did. Her name is Pavi Rosinen. She produced this pamphlet, she wrote the pamphlet, pamphlet, then he edited it and produced it and distributed it. And this is a copy of it here. It's got a, I don't know, kind of a PG 13 rated cover. The title is Male and Female, He Created Them. And then the subtitle is Homosexual Relationships Challenge the Christian Concept of Humanity. That was 2004. He published it. They gave copies to everyone in Congress, or in Parliament, sorry. And then uh, put it on their website. 15 years later in 2019, the prosecutor general of Finland filed criminal charges against Pavi Rosnan, the author, and against Bishop Poyola, the uh, publisher. And as it stands now, he, uh, they are both facing up to two years in prison and, uh, and fines. And um, for what? Well, because this is inciting, uh, what is the expression? Uh, Incitement against a group of people. That's that's what the charge is. Now, you might think that it's surprising that publishing a pamphlet, which teaches nothing more and nothing less than biblical doctrine on sexuality, would garner such attention. And honestly, I think that Bishop Poyola was also surprised. Uh, he, he didn't expect it to go each step of the way leading up to this point where they've actually been charged. He did not expect it to, to keep moving forward. Uh, but thankfully, uh, both Pavi Razanen and Bishop Poyola are standing firm in the faith. This is not, I, I just want to say, right out of the gate here, this is not an issue of pointing sin at, at, at you know the sin in other people's lives, not at all. Every single one of you in here confessed your sin to God this morning, and guess what? And I did too. I, I did. I don't even. I don't even step forward until I have confessed my sin to God. Okay, that's uh, so we we confess that we are sinners. But we also confess that God has revealed to us his law for our benefit. And the primary benefit is the function of what we call the mirror. You see, because of sin generally, we can't see ourselves very clearly. But we see ourselves clearly through the, through the mirror of God's law. God's law says, this is sin. Even when we say, how could that be sin? God's law says it's sin. So we see ourselves more clearly. Why is that important? You know the answer. Because if you can't see your own sin, then you can't see your need for a Savior. Okay, so it is absolutely fundamental to the preaching of the gospel that we're able to preach the law. Because who needs a Savior? If I can be righteous by my own behavior and actions and conduct, which, believe me, if you just kind of sweep away the law, you can be righteous. <laughs> but see, that's the problem. You, you can't sweep away the law. You can convince yourself, perhaps, for a time, that, you're, that you can just kind of push this law to the side. It will catch up to you. So the law is fundamental. It's important. It's as as important as the gospel. It serves a different role, but it's no less of a role. I mean, it's an error to just do nothing but pound the pulpit with the law and browbeat people into being obedient and living better lives. That's not the point. But the point is to say, look, look here, brother, this is a sin, so that you can see yourself rightly. Here's the law. This is a sin. Now, let me give you the good news. Now that you see your need for a Savior. Okay, so that's what's going on with this little pamphlet here. And for that, they are being charged criminally. All right, let's take a closer look at the gospel here. The disciples drew Jesus' attention to the external beauty and greatness of the temple. Look at this, what a magnificent structure. And it was. I mean, it was an architectural masterpiece. The temple was huge. I mean, it was a massive structure. Any nation would be proud of this temple. But even more than that, the temple is the place where the glory of God dwelt. Now, you've got to go back to Solomon's temple. Okay, when Solomon built his temple, the glory of God came from the tabernacle and filled the temple. Now, before the Babylonians destroyed that temple, the glory of God left. Now we know because we've just been studying Nehemiah that when the exiles came back out from Babylon uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, the temple was rebuilt and the walls around Jerusalem were rebuilt. And it wasn't. It it went through a series of of rebuilding and reconstruction after that even that continued during Jesus' time. They were still building. And it was a magnificent structure. But besides the architectural aspect, there's the historical significance of this is the place where God dwelt. Even in that day, in Jesus' day, they were offering sacrifices in the temple. That's the only place. Okay, it's not, like, it's not like our church where we have multiple church buildings everywhere and Christ is here present in the sacrament for us. That's not how it worked in the Jewish uh, Levitical law, the system of the Levitical law. The sacrifice was to be done in one place and one place only, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? And by the way, just incidentally on the side, that's why there's not sacrifices now. There's a mosque sitting on top of the temple mound. If it was a temple there, which personally I hope does not come to fruition, then there would be sacrifices resumed, you know, presumably. I mean that, that, that's what would happen. so we don't, we don't want that to happen. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a, this is this beautiful edifice, you know, beautiful temple. Of course, it's got all of the significance to the Jewish people. And what does Jesus say? Not a single stone here will be left. Everything's going to be overturned. And he was speaking specifically of what would happen four decades later, about 40 years later in 70 AD, that the Romans came in and literally turned every single stone of that temple over. And he was also looking um, at a, a, a turning upside down of this temple Of this system. Okay? And by the way, did the glory of God return to the temple? Yeah. The glory of God was there. It was Christ himself. And he was there. And he's leaving from there. And he's making these comments about this. All this is going to be turned. So you can understand the disciples being concerned. Well, you know, when is all this going to happen, Jesus? And what will be the signs of this? He's speaking about. The, 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 uh, the destruction that would happen in 70 A.D., but he's also speaking and looking forward into to his return. So he says, Jesus said, you will hear of wars, but do not be alarmed. He speaks comfort to them. They're going to fret over this. Well, it is shocking. The idea that all of these things are going to happen is shocking to them, but he's speaking comfort to them. Don't be alarmed. Why? He says this must take place. This is part of God's plan. Sometimes we don't understand God's plan. It's it's above us and beyond us. But nevertheless, this is part of his plan. We can't be alarmed at this. But we should be expectant. Actually, we should be expecting things to happen. Um, We should expect what? What? Wars, rumors of wars, strife, violence, and so forth. These are the things that we should be not only prepared for, but expect to come. Jesus says, be on your guard. The word he uses there, blepete. He says, see, it's like see to it. It's like, be on the lookout, be watching for this. And he uses it multiple places in this text, in this passage. It's translated differently into English in in different spots of it. But the, the principle is the same. He's being, look out, be on the lookout. Okay, now he tells the disciples, they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings, for my sake to bear witness before them. It's not merely a warning, it is a promise of what the apostles should expect to endure. Jesus also said, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, this is not just a warning, but this is also a promise. And the promise is not only that they'll be hated but that they'll be hated for his name's sake. In other words, they'll be hated because of the teaching that they are given, because of the gospel, because of what they are teaching about Christ. They will be hated. All right. Verse 10, Jesus said, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So the apostles were to be brought before governors and kings For a purpose, so that they could proclaim the gospel. Their message is going to go out to all nations. They were delivered up specifically so that they could bear witness, so that they could bear witness to the saving life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. What about you? Are you looking for the easy life, the easy Christian living? I'd be lying to you if I were to tell you that God promises that. At least least that he promises promises it in the sense that you won't experience pain or suffering or hardship. Because you will. But you know, sometimes I think Christians can, we can sort of confess that Well, God is in control of the big picture. He's in control of all things. But at the same time, we kind of feel like, but as for me, he's sort of forgotten me or left me, you know, alone because I don't figure into that entirely or, you know, whatever. He's just little old me he's forgotten about. Perish that thought. God knows every single hair on your head. he has not, he has not let go of any one of you or of me thank goodness remember that Christ died to redeem you you personally each one of you, Christ died to redeem you don't be afraid to speak the truth that's what That's what standing firm is. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. Don't be afraid to speak of the sin that separates a person from God. I mean, practically speaking, there are better and worse ways that you can stand firm in the faith. You know, and we don't need to go around with meanness and crudeness and vulgarity and abusive talk. But is that the only way that sin can be spoken about? It doesn't always have to be gentle either. I mean, how gentle is it when you tell someone and confront someone with sin? Nevertheless, we have to stand firm in this. Don't hesitate to speak of the love that God has for a person either. I mean, that's also part of standing firm in the faith. We're not a bunch of legalist Puritans here. You know, we we hold uh, we might uh, be have cause to pull a brother aside and say you're going the wrong way. <laughs> I, tell that to, uh, I told that to Hamilton and to Owen uh, when we were going through confirmation class, and they, they got a kick out of that, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. We pull our brother aside and we say, You're going the wrong way, brother. In love, we do that. And it's not, um, shouldn't hesitate to do that. But don't hesitate either to speak gospel to people. Christ died for your sins. We're not going to wipe away the sin. But we're not going to affirm you in the sin either. That, that doesn't help. If I believe that you're running toward a cliff, how loving is it for me to just go, see no evil, hear no evil? That's, that's absurd. You can't do that. You're running toward a cliff. All right. Jesus said, you'll be hated by all for not my name's sake. Again, this is something we can expect. Expected. But he also said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So, we better muster up our courage and prepare to endure to the end. Yeah, but um, actually, I would say Christ is the one who endured to the end. And he did. Christ endured to the end. For your sake, he did. In your baptism, God has claimed you as his beloved child. He has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has given you eternal life. Remember that. You know, we make the sign of the cross, and we do what? We remember our baptism. Yeah, Satan, you're right. I am a sinner, but I've been baptized. It's not because of me that I've been saved, but it's because Christ Working in me, Christ for me. That's what saves me, Satan. So you go ahead and tell me all the things I've done wrong. I can't argue with you. But I can tell you all the things Christ has done right. And I can tell you he's done them for me. In the sacrament here, Christ comes to you. In body and in blood. Working forgiveness. Building your faith. So we cling to Christ. We cling to Christ in the sacrament. We cling to Christ in our baptism as we remember that. Confession and absolution. By the way, anyone that desires private confession and absolution, I do offer that here. Okay? You you let me know. It's not a law. Okay? We're not making this a law like the... Uh, Roman Catholic Church does where you must come and you know so many days and, and so forth. That's not what it's about. It's gospel, but it's there for you. You need to get something off your chest. You know sometimes it's necessary. And remember, there are two parts to confession and absolution. First part, you confess your sin. Second part, you accept the forgiveness of sin that God gives you in Christ. That's the second part of it. It's you it receive the forgiveness. All right, so how do you endure to the end? That's how. You cling to Christ. He has endured for you. Cling to Christ. In him, you will endure to the end, and in him, you will be saved. Thanks be to God. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.